kazoos has been poured. The candle is lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. Okay, so uh, let's talk about how prepared The Witch is tonight with the candle selection, the Edgar Allan Poe. All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream candle. Yes. I cannot take very much credit for that, though. It was a gift given to me by a very dear friend Mm -hmm. and listener of the podcast. So you know who you are. But um, she knows I love Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, mean, that's pretty perfect. It is perfect. So for those of you who probably may not have caught on by now, tonight... We are delving into the macabre world of Edgar Allan Poe. Poe, 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 Poe. <laughs> I just felt like it needed an echo. That was really beautiful. <laughs> it was really beautiful. Um, so we are going to be talking about all things Poe, history, um, all sorts of fun stuff. And before we really jump into that, um, we got to do our pazoos. Yeah. Uh, you've outdone yourself again. I hope so. Let her rip. I mean, so tonight we are sampling a whiskey in church. (laughs) So I chose this one because it is a scotch-based drink. It has a little bit of sherry in there. Um, It's got some cherry flavoring with some cherry bitters. Um, And it just sounded to me something like Poe himself might enjoy. It's kind of dark, rich. Um, and also I love, I love the name whiskey in church. Whiskey in church is pretty great. Well, the happy accident is the sherry we are using is a dry Amontillado. Yes, it is. Literal accident. But a happy accident. Happy I couldn't accident. believe when I saw that. That is fantastic. So happy. So, I mean, I feel like this drink meant to be. Yes. Meant to be tonight. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I should mention it is, again, from, you know, you guessed it, myfavoritelicker.com. <laughs> um, and we we have the recipe up on the website. So highly encourage you to get that in well, your you know, mouth. Um, and sometimes the way you describe the drinks is so, you describe them as these ordinary things. It is basically uh, it, it, the, the cherry bitters what had an, an eyedropper yeah i have to say that's the fanciest bitters i've ever seen usually they're just like tabasco sauce bottles oh uh, you know like you shake out the, yeah 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 usually that's what they look like this above and beyond totally fancy above, totally fancy have you ever just tasted the bitters i kind of wanted no. to just taste that oh, we to should. see what it would do we should do that it's probably horrifying, but <laughs> we should do it still. Well, let's see what hashtag forward this uh, yeah, beverage let's see, is. Let's see. Let's see. All right. Oh. That's not terrible. <laughs> I, I like it. Okay. Am I not terrible? I mean, I like it. Here's what I'm going to say. The sherry, the maple syrup, and that lemon on the back end saved me from the front end yes it did. yeah because you definitely get the scotch i mean scotch is an overpowering drink it's it very is. if you haven't had it before it's very smoky very smoky so it's kind of like you're sitting around a campfire but you're drinking that. yeah yeah but i think and we put we didn't follow the recipe we put two spoons yeah of maple syrup in here which i think was probably for the better for you probably <laughs> 
still, it's like my tongue starts licking a saddle, but mm-hmm. then transitions very quickly into a piece of raisin toast. I think that's fine. Raisin toast forward. I mean, when you're out on the range, <laughs> you want a piece of raisin toast. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I feel like that's a great a great snack. It's sticking with me. You see? It is smooth on the back it's end. It must be end. that maple syrup. It has to be. It has to, Maple syrup is a cure-all. My throat's already hot. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a warm drink. Hashtag hot throat. Warm drink. The acid <laughs> reflux is a brew. Oh, Jesus. She probably should have put like a, a crushed up uh, Tums. I should have. On the rim. That's an idea. Mm-hmm. We should make a Tums inspired cocktail with like with a candied tums rim a candy tums rim that's what that's what or just go ahead and throw an alka-seltzer right in there right in the drink <laughs> oh like a white claw with an alka-seltzer yes and a tums rim i like it yeah done done, done done and done done and done all right we have uh uh oh i want to say one more thing before we dive into poe yes ma'am couple episodes back you recommended Dead Man's Bones. Ah, yes. And I listened to the album. And? Oh, my goodness. I am in love. Yes. I Thank even, God. I downloaded a couple of the songs to be in my, like, regular rotation. Ugh. I don't know how I'd never heard of that. It was so good. You said you were going to keep your favorite song to yourself until I listened to it. And I now listen to it. So I, yes, look it up. I would love to know what your favorite song. Mine is, I can't remember the exact title, but it's like one of the first few. And it's like the Where You Sleep song. That is fantastic. That's a fun song. My favorite is My Body's a Zombie for You. That's a good one, too. <laughs> That's a good one, too. That title is insanely good. Oh, it's so I fun. I mean, the whole thing. The opening the opening uh, monologue. Yes. The, so good. As soon as I heard that, I was hooked. So good. And then the song that is like the namesake of the album, Dead Man's Bones, was even good. Which yes. you know sometimes, which it's always sad and kind of disappointing. Yes. Because sometimes the namesake songs of the album aren't what you want them to be. Right. Absolutely. This one lived up to it. I was very pleased. Yeah. You hear that out there, Kim? Another true believer. I'm a true Dead believer, Dead Man's Kim. Bones is amazing. Kim, great recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for you. I'm going to listen to it. Werewolf Heart. Oh, oh very good. Oh, my God. So much. Paper so Ships. Fun. Young and Tragic. That's your song. Oh, I am Young and Tragic. <laughs> that's a fair, that's a fair, fair thing. So good. So I just wanted to, yeah, return to that and yeah. reiterate. That's great. Now I, too, am on the bandwagon and believe that you listeners should tune in Dead Check. Man's Bones. Yep. YouTube, I think, knows that where you've got yep, it. that's and where I got it. I, I just got it on Spotify. So it's streaming pretty much everywhere, yeah. probably. I it assume. is It is well worth it. Yeah, well worth your yeah. time. Okay, now we can ca- talk about Wow, that. that's excellent. I'm so yeah. excited about that. Yeah, it was awesome. So Poe, we went into kind of a rabbit hole of research mm-hmm. for this episode. Because, you know, you, this is all about figuring out who the man, myth, and legend is behind, you know, the horror and macabre genre. Yeah. Um, so both Anzemic and I did a ton of research, and I'm really excited to compare notes tonight because I know Anzemic found some fun. She's taking another, another sip, and she is, she's, but she is getting through. I'm going to get through it. <coughs> <laughs> I promise. 
great. Great. Um, but I'm excited to compare notes because I know you found some uh, stuff that I did not find. Yeah. Um, and I just, before we launch in, want to say his story is really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, just as a as kind of a disclaimer at the top, this is not like a a super fun story, but I think it's uh, it definitely makes me appreciate him in a different way. Um, knowing some of the stuff that he went through in his life yeah. is really. We want to start there. Yeah, yeah. Let's start with it. So, um, Edgar was born Edgar Poe. Mm-hmm. He became Edgar Allan later, which I'll tell you about here in a minute. And he was born on January 19th, 1809 in Boston, Massachusetts to parents David Poe Jr. and Eliza Poe. Yes. Um, both David and Eliza were actors and they had three children together, including Edgar. Mm-hmm. Um, and at a very early age for Edgar, a lot of um, sources I found said even as early as one year old, uh, David abandons the family. Yeah. So obviously that puts Eliza in a really precarious position. Um, she's an actor and she's very well respected and loved mm-hmm. in the acting community. But as you can imagine, back then actors weren't necessarily making a lot of money. Right. And so all of a sudden she's kind of put in this position where she not only is in charge of physically caring for her three children but now financially responsible for her three children and the acting profession too i should add lots of travel um so it was just a real hardship on her to have three children and then you know all of a sudden taking sole financial responsibility for them um tragically when edgar is about two or three um his mother passes Um, And she passes of tuberculosis. And all of a sudden, the three children are now parentless and they go into the foster system. And they kind of disperse in the foster system. They don't all go on to to one home. They're all throughout um, a bunch of different homes. And Edgar ends up with the Allen family, John and Francis Allen. Um. Francis and Edgar had a fantastic relationship. She adored him. He adored her. Um, It was a really close, tight-knit relationship. Edgar and John, on the other hand, had a very strained relationship. And there are some reports as to why that could be. John was a tobacco merchant, and so he was very dedicated, involved in his business. Um, And Edgar, as he grew up, was very creative Mm -hmm. and loved learning and intellect and writing and the arts. And that just was not something that John... That's an oil and water kind of situation, I think. Exactly. He kind of knew from that point on he wasn't going to be able to raise Edgar to take over the business, right? Right, right. Um, And that, I I mean, I can't say that's for sure what he wanted, but you can kind of put two and two together that he might have wanted that um, kind of relationship that he just didn't get. So they did not, they had a very strained relationship. Um, But even with that, he made sure Edgar was taken care of financially um, and they put him through very um, well-renowned education Mm -hmm. programs, made sure he was educated and Edgar loved learning. Um, he was known as a very, uh, well-educated, loved to study, um, young man. He was writing his first poems by the age of 13. So this is, his creativity was something that was with him from the very beginning. Yeah. 
Um, natural born talent. Natural born talent. Exactly right. Uh, the Allen family, so they go off to Europe for a period of time and they take Edgar with them. And uh, so he studies writing in Europe and, in, you know, in England yeah. and all across Europe. Um, so that had to have, I didn't read too much, couldn't find too much about that time in his life, but that had to have a great influence on him um, and it, on his love of writing. Um, and it's actually really interesting because Edgar Allan Poe is extremely popular in Europe. Um, particularly in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, at one point, he was more popular in Europe than he was in the United States. And so you have to wonder if maybe he borrowed some technique um, that was happening or popularized in Europe, and that's reflected in his writing, and that might be reflected in why he's so popular. Well, there. I can segue right now yeah, into please. why that was. Um, well, first of all, he was the first author to try and make uh, a living as a writer mm-hmm. um, make a professional living as a writer but he was one of the earliest champions of the art for art's sake yeah. movement and that was uh that was popular in europe at the time and well yes it was mm-hmm. so he championed the cause that art could just be beautiful yeah that it did not have to have uh, uh, a moral or uh, an ideological anything it could just art could just be art yeah and a lot of european writers at the time and critics um one in particular uh baudelaire Mm, yes uh really praised him for this stance and it was um it 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 was a unique stance i mean most everybody thought that you were creating these things to teach yes um uh to educate yes (laughs) there was a there was some sort of intellectual purpose beyond just beauty and celebration of the word there there was a there was a goal at the end yeah he uh he tended to focus um any of the criticism that he had were on the specifics of the construction of the piece Mm -hmm. uh, rather than you know the the critique of society or whatever the ideological uh moral of the story would be he really crafted uh spent a lot of time crafting the command of the language and the mm-hmm. techniques um, to make the, the work rather than focusing on the what, what the work was supposed to do. Yes. Um, it was ju- it could just be beautiful. And that I think that inspired his own imagination. Absolutely. When he could when he could free up from um, the point was to be beautiful. The point that was, was to the be, point. Yes, exactly. There was no um, moral, like you said yeah. earlier, but there was like it was just to celebrate the craft. It yes. was not necessarily to um, further any agenda. That's what yes. I'm trying to say. That's, that's exactly that's what I'm right. trying to say. That's what it is. Yes. I agree. I agree. And I think too, yeah, that's probably why that plays a huge part in why he was so popular in Europe mm-hmm. because that was something that was being celebrated at the time in Europe. It was. So yeah. I think that makes complete and total sense. Especially um, in European literature. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Um, so... Eventually, the Allens do come back to Virginia, um, to Richmond, and that's where they settle. Um, And so that's kind of uh, where Edgar ends up when he is ready to kind of go off to college. But before we go to college with Edgar, we've (laughs) got to talk about he was a romantic. Yes. He loved him some ladies. (laughs) So, in fact... Two in his youth, 
Um, he had two love interests that I found. Um, the first one was not a formal love interest, uh, but he had, you know, this this connection with her, this love for her. It was actually the mother of one of his childhood friends. Okay. Um, and what is so profound about his love for her is she ended up having brain cancer and passed away from it. Okay while he was still an adolescent, while he was in his teens. And I think you can argue that that was probably one of the most impactful deaths in his life, at, at least at the time. Okay. We know that his mother passed, but she passed right. when he was very, very young. So he probably didn't have much memory of her. He probably, you know, felt it when he grew older. Yeah. Um, but this was someone that he had love for, that he interacted with often. And then he watched her kind of deteriorate mm -hmm. and then watched her pass. And so this really unsettled Edgar. And he was known to travel to her grave often and weep at her grave. Oh. Um, so that is kind of the first kind of taste you get of this very emotional, dark, macabre world mm -hmm. of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, the second love he had in his adolescence, uh, was someone that he was with formally. In fact, I think they were engaged at one point, um, but her name was Sarah Elmira Royster. And he, uh, he was with her for a period of time in his adolescence before he went to university. Mm -hmm. When he went off to university, they kind of parted ways, grew mm -hmm. apart, um, he was wholly invested in his studies, and she ended up marrying another man. Um, so, yeah, so I, I needed to point out these are the first lady loves of Poe. And let me tell you, buckle up, because there are <laughs> a many. Um, so Edgar Allan Poe goes to the University of Virginia for college, um, and he... Uh, it, well, I should say the University of Virginia was a kind of known to be a, a, a rougher school. It was okay. very chaotic. Um, it was based off of the ideas of Thomas Jefferson. Um, so Thomas Jefferson wanted the University of Virginia to be a school that was totally self-governed by its student body. Okay. And that meant everything from students could choose their own course of study, mm -hmm. um, they could choose their own lodgings, mm -hmm. to they were expected to self-discipline. So there were very uh, lots and lots of rules at university at that in that time mm -hmm. period. Couldn't drink, you couldn't have relations, you couldn't <laughs> gamble. Uh -huh. All of that was happening. And oh, yeah. but. In this kind of format, it was expected that the students were to report on each other, which also wasn't happening. So it was kind of this very chaotic, everything goes. Sounds type super of fun. Yeah, sounds <laughs> great um, environment. And so um, Poe kind of attends this university, but he thrives. Um, he does very well. He doesn't get too distracted. He, he kind of dives into his studies. And what's really cool about his time at university is his classmates they really recognize that he's special mm -hmm. um he writes often and hosts readings with them um and he also illustrates and he does lots of drawings in his uh room in his lodgings mm -hmm. on the walls and ceilings and the classmates that he went to university with said that they were unsure of if he would become famous as an author 
or if he'd become famous as an artist. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that, I, that's a little tidbit I did I not did know. I did not know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. So it, his creativity spans multiple media, wow. not just writing, which he became known for. He yeah. He really did. Um, he was a creative in every sense of the word. Um, but eventually Poe... Um, found met some hardship while he was at university um he didn't get to attend long and that's due to financial reasons um so some of the sources that i i read had kind of conflicting reports on this but most of the sources agree that john allen when he sent poe off off to the university of virginia didn't really equip him with all the money that he would need to get through college Mm -hmm. um and so He was more than happy to pay for the education, but when it came to things like supplies for school, where Poe was going to be living, how Poe was going to be able to eat, um, he didn't really supply him any extra funds for anything like that. And so um, Edgar, it is reported that he, he asked John Allen for additional money in order to be able to stay at the university, and John Allen refused. And so at this point, Poe gets really into gambling to try and stay at the university. And unfortunately, that did not go very well for him. He got further into debt and further into debt, which completely pissed John Allen off. Oh, he yeah. said, why in the hell are you gambling? Um, I'm not giving you money, surely, to pay off these debts. If I wouldn't give you money to eat, I'm not going to need money to pay off debt. Um, And so debt collectors start pursuing Poe. And Mm -hmm. so Poe is kind of forced to leave the university because he can't really stick around. He can't afford it anyway. And now debt collectors are after him. And back in that day, you there were such things as debtors prisons. Yes. And he did not want to end up in debtors prison. Right. So he kind of flees university um, and he joins the army. He enlists in the army under a a pseudonym to escape uh, the debt collectors. Um, And and that is really, he starts kind of this military service uh, career. At one point, he even enrolls at West Point. So he has a pretty, I mean, he, he, he was pretty... Well known in yeah. his military career, he did go what to work. What name did he go by? Did it you say? know, I I didn't write that down. I don't know. Yeah, look it up. Yeah, look Keep that going. up. I'm gonna, I want to know. Um, so uh, while he is in the military, he's continuing to write. So he didn't give up on that dream. It's something he's still pursuing. Um, and he actually publishes his first collection of poetry while he's enlisted. Um, and that collection is Tamer Lane and other poems um now this collection of poems is not very successful um it only sells about 50 copies and he because he's under you know a pseudonym in the army he doesn't want to give himself away he doesn't publish it under his own name he publishes it under a bostonian so it's not even attributed to him in any way his, his pseudonym in uh, the military was Edgar A. Perry. Perry. That's right. There, it is. there, there it is. So, um, so he did. He did write while he was in the army, um, uh, and unfortunately, while he's enlisted, or around the time of his enlistment, I should say, it might be right after he leaves. It was kind of murky on this. Um, his foster mother, Frances Allen, dies. 
How does she die? Tuberculosis. Oh, uh-huh. So this really upsets Poe. As I said earlier, he was super close with Francis Allen. And from then on out, after she dies, his relationship with John Allen is completely and utterly strained. He, it, there are reports that John Allen was unfaithful to Frances Allen while she was sick with tuberculosis, uh, okay. and he would bring mistresses into the home, and while she was lying in bed on one floor, he'd be with the mistress on another. What's wrong with people, first of all? Yeah, that's disgusting. And Edgar, because he's close with Frances, is pissed off that this yeah. was happening in her house. Um, so that strains their relationship further. He, the, John Allen fathers children with some of his mistresses, which pisses Edgar off even more. Um, and then as vi- kind of soon after Francis's death, he gets remarried, um, which is kind of the last straw for Edgar. He just does not understand why John Allen is acting like this. And eventually John Allen disowns Edgar um, and leaves him with nothing even when he dies. He doesn't leave him with anything um, even though he spent all that time with him. It's really important to note also all of this time that Edgar is spending with the Allens, they are his foster family, but they never formally adopt him at any point. Oh. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting is that they kind of raised him, but there was no real legal tie to Edgar and this family. Eventually, Poe does um, leave the military. Unfortunately, he can't. It's not as simple as just saying, I want to <laughs> leave. So he decides that he's just going to not do his duties oh. and eventually get kicked out of the military. And so that's how he's discharged from the military, but not by not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, and it's after that that he decides he's going to pursue a career as a writer full time. Yeah. As, you, as you made a note of earlier, he's yeah. kind of the first author out there that's known to have pursued that full time as his career and because of that decision he lives in poverty most of his life and one of the really interesting things I found as to why is that um, there were no copyright laws at the time and so a bunch of American publishers would just take work from Europe and republish it and that way they could save money because they didn't have to pay American right. authors to write new stories. And so American authors were really getting screwed at the time because they their work wasn't sought after. They were just publishing houses were republishing yeah. stories from Europe under their publishing house. Yeah. Wow. And so that kind of led that kind of led um, Edgar to really be passionate about copyright law especially later in life and it's something that he kind of argued for was copyright law um to protect authors because it because he he was really screwed out of some serious money in his life because of that and so as he's kind of beginning this literary pursuit he moves in with his aunt maria clem Mm -hmm. um who has a daughter named virginia and then this again is murky from several of the sources that I read. They believe an elderly grandmother also lived in the okay. home. And then potentially Henry, who is um, Edgar's brother. Okay. So it, it, it's unclear if, that, if Henry mm-hmm. was really there or not. But there are some reports that say he was. And this is in Baltimore. So okay. Edgar, yep. Edgar goes to Baltimore, lives with his Aunt Maria and her daughter Virginia. 
And so he's trying to pursue writing full time, like I said, but he's having a hard time selling his work because it's very dark. Yes. And the publishers are saying, I want light pieces, and that's not really Edgar's shtick. And so he's he's having a really hard time um, getting his writing out there. So he decides he's going to leave Baltimore. He's going to go back to Richmond, and he's going to pursue a career as a literary critic, which mm-hmm. actually he worked as for most of his life here on out, a literary mm-hmm. critic. And his gig is with the Southern Literary Messenger. Um, So he begins writing as a critic for the Southern Literary Messenger. He's known to be a really harsh critic. He has a lot to say, and he's not afraid to say it. It is not surprising. Yeah, he is not afraid to say it. He does not say it in the politest of ways. Um, And he gets under a lot of people's skin. He's Mm -hmm. known to be hard to work with, has a really kind of brash personality when it comes to criticism not necessarily in his everyday life but when it comes to his work he's known as being rather difficult yeah because i you hear too when he was with the people that he loved he was actually quite gentle gentle and loving yeah so it's kind of these very two different i just look at it as artists criticizing artists yeah you got to say something worse about the other guy (laughs) <laughs> oh, absolutely. I want to make myself yeah, feel better. Yes, so I, I'm going to say something shitty about you. <laughs> absolutely. That had to have been it. So while he, he's kind of working as a literary critic for the Southern Literary Messenger, the first piece of troubling, troubling behavior occurs with Edgar Allan Poe. And we just have to acknowledge it at, for what it is yeah. because it was troubling. Yeah, I know it, where this is going. Yeah. yeah. And that I love Edgar Allan Poe because I do. I think that he's a literary genius and a lot, from most accounts, he was a decent person, except for the fact that he marries his 13-year-old cousin, Virginia. Yeah, and they lie and say she's 21. And they they lie and say she's 21 so they can do it. Now... And he was, what, 27? Somewhere around there. Mm, Yeah. So what the hell? No, that is definitely a what the hell. It is a what the hell. And I know, oh, those were different times. There is literally no excuse ever to marry a 13-year-old child. I don't care what times we're living in. That is absurd. Agreed. So so that happens. He marries Virginia, and he continues to work as a literary critic um, after that. Virginia. So he, he he cycles through a couple different literary magazines, again, carrying that reputation with him as being a harsh critic. Yeah. And eventually Virginia is diagnosed with tuberculosis. Yeah. Um, and so this was devastating for Poe. I mean, this is how what number of women in his life now has come down with tuberculosis. So he takes it upon himself to work even harder because he wants to make sure that she's taken care of, she gets the medicine she needs, all of that. Um, And this is when The Raven is published during this time because he's writing. He's a literary critic, but he's still writing all this time. Um, So The Raven is published and it is an overnight sensation. He becomes like an overnight superstar, whereas before he wasn't getting recognized for his work at all. Now he's so tied to the Raven. He's being asked to come and perform the Raven, and it's drawing these huge crowds. One of my favorite things is that he is just walking out in the streets, and children are 
following him and acting like ravens and he's yeah he's saying never more at them and it's just this really it gives you that image of him as being that softer side of him being playful celebrating this one victory it feels like (laughs) the one victory he has in his life is this and he gets to celebrate it um unfortunately though this story this poem brings him all the fame but none of the fortune. Um, in fact, I read that it only earned him about fourteen dollars. Too, yeah, which is absurd to think about Absolutely. how popular the Raven is even to this day. Yeah, and it brought him nowhere near a living wage at the time. So again, he's still very poor, and that obviously was not enough to cover medical expenses for Virginia. So he moves Virginia and himself into a cottage in Fordham, New York, which would be kind of where the modern-day Bronx sits. And there she succumbs to tuberculosis. She battles tuberculosis for five years. Five years? Five years. And he's kind of watching her get better, get worse, get better, get worse. And he knows while this is happening Mm -hmm. that he just does not have the money to help her stay better right which you can only imagine how that weighs on him yeah so again in typical poe fashion when she dies and is buried he's known to go to her grave often weeps at her grave and the things i will note about virginia is it is believed that the raven and annabelle lee both are written about her so she is attributed to two of his if not his biggest works um poems so after his after virginia's death poe kind of goes into this spiral because he is determined he's going to find a soulmate before he dies he just thinks that he needs to have a soulmate um and it's really interesting to think about kind of his psyche at the time Mm -hmm. he spent his entire life being championed and coddled in certain instances and supported by women. And so he has this fondness for women. He loves women. He, 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 he worships them. If you read some of his Mm -hmm. work, he worships these Mm -hmm. women and he doesn't really have that kind of relationship with men. He's seen men as leaving him high and dry. He, he has this need for companionship with women um, that you see. And so many of them die in his life. So many women die over the course of his life. So he goes and pursues a couple um, women later in his life, one of them being the poet Sarah Helen Whitman, um, who he does get engaged to for a period of time. Favorite thing about that relationship is that he proposes to her in a cemetery. Excellent. That's amazing. Excellent decision, Edgar Allan Poe. Love that. Eventually, that uh, relationship is kind of dissolved, though. The mother of Sarah uh, does not approve and does not want them to get (laughs) married. So she gets herself in there and she's like, absolutely not. And the whole thing kind of dissolves. Eventually, Poe reunites with Sarah Elmira Royster, the woman he was engaged to in his adolescence. Um, So they they rekindle their love um, and then they are engaged uh, to be wed. Um, and it is at the time that they're engaged soon after he sets off for Philadelphia because he has has to do some work there. And then beyond that, he's going to travel to New York to kind of announce his engagement. And he disappears. And this is where the story gets bizarre. If it's already sad, 
now gets bizarre. Okay. So he disappears. He's found a short time later on the streets of Baltimore. Baltimore. How he got to Baltimore, no one is quite sure because when they find him, he's delirious. So he's unable to articulate how he got there, why he's there, what he's doing, who who he's seeing. Um, when he's found on the streets, he's found in another person's clothing. Who the hell's clothing is this? <laughs> not yours, Edgar. Uh, he's not able to um, talk, speak to that. Um, so the person who finds him recognizes him immediately um, and is able to uh, write to an acquaintance of Edgar. So um, they find him. They get him to the hospital after that letter is sent. They get him to the hospital. Um, he's there for a period of time, but he never becomes lucid enough no. to say what happened. He's kind of, they describe it in this delirium. Yeah. Um, and some of the things uh, that the doctors say is he's seeing phantoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and he keeps calling out to Reynolds. Reynolds! Yeah. Who the hell is Reynolds? Who the hell is Reynolds? Yeah. I'm, that puzzled me. One mystery, if I could ever figure out one mystery in my whole life, I've decided it's who the hell is Reynolds? <laughs> I want to know that. Reportedly, his last words are, God help my poor soul. Yep. And he dies on October 7th, 1849 at age 40. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about all the speculation. I love the speculation. his death. I love it. It was ascribed to congestion of the brain. It was. Yes. But no autopsy was performed. No autopsy was performed. And somehow, I don't know if you saw this in your research, his medical records get destroyed, including his death certificate. Feels like um, not a coincidence. Yeah. Can, that, something, foul yeah, play. Something happened to him. Because foul play. They, they, they thought that his own, the reason he was in the ill-fitting weird clothes is because somebody stole his. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe the, maybe the debtors came. Maybe all that came home to roost. It might have. All of his past misdeeds. It might have. I think that's a good theory. So let's, um, let's run down this list. Tell uh, me, yes, who, please. What do you have? So I have one of them being beating. Yep. Which kind of tracks with the brain yes. situation. Um, they believed it could have either been a spurned lover, because we all know he had plenty of those, yeah, plenty of- or a robbery gone bad. Just he was out on the streets. Someone came up to rob him. He didn't want to that to happen and then you know fighting ensued so yeah. those are kind of two things that have been ascribed to that but i like your idea of the debt collectors might have found him maybe after all that time yeah if the debt was considerable enough right and he pissed off the wrong uh gambling master i don't know what, yeah. are, they what are they called <laughs> i don't know <laughs> hashtag gambling master king of craps <laughs> king of craps love that love that i mean you know i mean who knows because uh, murder was also a speculation. Murder, yes, murder was a speculation. I think the most interesting speculation I saw was cooping. What is cooping? So it's a process by which a gang would kidnap just a person passing on the street yeah. and disguise them and then force them to vote for a specific candidate 
over and over again under different identities. And this tended to happen, obviously, during election seasons. And it was a common thing, apparently, that was happening during this time. And he, in Baltimore, at the time he's found, there's a sheriff election going on. Really? So there's speculation, could he have been drugged and forced into this cooping scheme and then left for dead on the on the streets of Baltimore, which I don't think is a bad idea. Interesting. Yeah. And I'd never heard of cooping. Cooping. Yeah. What the wow. hell? What the hell? What the hell for yeah. sure. Rabies. There was rabies. Speculation of rabies. Yeah. Rabies, which apparently was also very common at the time. And well, if he had a lot of ladies, syphilis maybe. I mean, Did anybody yeah. ever say syphilis? I didn't. That causes Not you to go list. crazy, right? Yeah, it does. If it's untreated. It does. Um, alcohol was one. Um, one thing I didn't mention in m- most of his history, but this is kind of well known. Poe did have issues with liquor and alcohol. Yeah. He was known to have a very low tolerance for alcohol and they think it was genetic. So like he would drink one glass of wine and be on his ass. Um, so he had a real problem with alcohol cause he liked to drink. So, uh, and it didn't suit him well. So they believe alcohol could have had something to do with it, but, um, that is really kind of speculative because they did some sort of test at the time and he wasn't under the influence at the time that he was found, but he was delirious. Yeah. So they're not quite sure that makes a lot of sense. Uh, epilepsy, his uh-huh. heart, delirium tremens, porphyria, uh, toxic disorder, hypoglycemia, diabetes. I thought one really interesting one I thought was brain tumor. Oh. And they said that because when they exhumed his body later, because they Mm -hmm. moved him in the cemetery, when they exhumed his skeleton, there was a mass rattling around in there. And the doctors at the time said, well, that's obviously not the brain. The brain is the first thing to decay when the corpse is buried. But if a tumor calcifies, which can happen it will leave behind the calcification of the tumor. And there was a large mass in the skull when they exhumed his body. So it could mean that he had a Did brain tumor. Did anybody take it out and, you know, perform a, of course an not. autopsy on it? Not that I found. Of course not. Because that, I mean, that could be the answer. That could be the answer. He could have had a brain tumor that no one knew about, undiagnosed. And then the last one I found was flu. Because he was reportedly from Sarah, his mm. fiance, mm-hmm. very sick before he left Philadelphia so uh, sick that she had advised him not to leave yeah. because she was worried about him, mm-hmm. um, but he left anyway. So it was p- potential complications due to the flu, which, you know, at that time, very deadly. Yes. So. So, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, the the father of the detective story oh, yes. left behind this insanely... Uh, intriguing mystery, mystery about his own death. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Again, coincidence? This, these are very hard things <laughs> to consider coincidences. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Why can't they go back now and get in there and get that calcification out? Right? I wonder. I want to know where the calcification is. Yeah. It's probably sitting on some fucking you person's mantle. Is. You know it is. Some rich-ass person yep. has it and isn't going to say anything. Yeah. Because they're an I've asshole got, got the about the calcification. Yeah, get out of my life. Yeah. Even though you're not in it. <laughs> well, you took that personally. I did take um, it personally. I'm going to say that. I was, did take that one personally. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So after his death, uh, Poe's literary rival, who is Rufus Wilmot 
Griswold. What a name. Oh, what he's a, name. a villain for Ooh, sure. What a name, yeah. this man. Um, but he really, I, he really works to discredit Poe. Like, he wants to bring some shame on Poe's yeah. name. and For obvious reasons, I'm yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. And he starts calling him um, dependent on alcohol and drugs, mm-hmm. calls him mentally ill, um, tries to just say that, you know, all of the things that Poe kind of stood for in his life, they they were they were shadowed by by these mental afflictions that Poe had at the time. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's really no evidence that Poe ever took drugs. Uh, he wrote about them in his stories, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence that he ever took drugs himself. Yeah. Um, he did have a, a slight issue with alcohol because of his genetic. Uh, potential disorder that he had um, but th- these kind of ideas of, uh, of these um, addictions mm-hmm. and dependencies that he had um, he was really kind of exaggerating them yeah. um, to discredit mm-hmm. his work and while they have been discredited he wrote a biography about Poe mm-hmm. and it became extremely popular um, so popular that people took it as fact and in the biography, there were actual letters from Poe mm-hmm. um, that were supposed to have supported some of these claims of um, dependency. And scholars have looked at those letters and said they are clear fabrications. Griswold wrote these. These were not mm-hmm. actual letters from Poe, but they were still accepted as fact for a very long time. And so, and I think that you can still see that to this day. Poe has this kind of mystery and... Mm-hmm macabre and dark air uh, kind of associated with him. Mm-hmm. And you have to question how much of that is due to this kind of <laughs> smear campaign that right. Griswold was running about his character. Right. Um, it's really just interesting how long that kind of thing can last mm-hmm. through the years. So um, I, I, I don't know. But Poe, for all intents and purposes, did not... Uh, have the dependencies that Griswold yeah. claimed. Interesting. Yeah. The bizarre life and sad life yeah. of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, but his legacy lives on. Lives on. Is tremendous. Yeah. In the world of horror, in the world of detective yeah. fiction, as you pointed out. Um, he has had an, an extreme influence on literature. Yeah. Um, in fact, so... Um, I know you took some notes on this too, but uh, from what I found, he, he a lot of his writing they they kind of ascribe to the gothic style, mm-hmm. um, which is something that focuses on horror, death, the macabre. So right, you can right. clearly see if you've read any of Poe's work, you can clearly see the connections and those types of themes in in most of his work, not all of it, but most of his work. And then he also is largely associated with this idea of dark romanticism, mm-hmm. which I know you have a lot to say about romanticism, but dark romanticism is this idea of the irrational, the demonic, the grotesque. Yes. And so these are all principles that were heavily associated with Poe in his writings. Yeah. So I think that he preferred those styles um, mainly because of the experiences that he had in life. Yeah. You know, I would imagine that if you experienced so much death Mm -hmm. and so much loss, lost love, lost family members, you were poor most of your life. You were running from debtor, debt collectors and, you know, 
you were battling, you know, this issue you had with alcohol. There, There's a lot of dark there. A melancholy. A melancholy. So, yeah. You purge it and deal with it through your work. Yeah. yeah. And if you read a lot of his work, so many of his narrators are these tortured souls, right. tormented souls, right. dealing with similar issues, loss of love, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, you have to ask yourself how much of that is a reflection of Poe himself in the narrator. Mm-hmm. Because, you, I mean, I would probably say there has to be a lot of reflection. I there. would think so. That's That's a pretty common thread with... Yeah. The tortured artist. Exactly. Exactly. So absolutely. Um, but yeah, I uh, I found a lot. I just kind of, I broke him down into some of his pieces. Yeah. Um, because we can't we can't read anything to you because of right. copyright issues. Um, right. Um, and we want you to seek it out for yourself. But um, it's true. A lot of his work was centered around this sadness and terror. Um, but by all accounts, he was a pretty um even-tempered human around you right. know, people he loved but so um romanticism yes the romanticism yes. it basically was kind of romanticism can be seen as, as a rejection of the classical the neoclassical um uh, precepts of order and calm and harmony balance rationality um and <clears throat> And also neoclassicism, which mm-hmm. was like that on steroids. And, um, so it emphasized the individual, the subjective, what you said, um, the dark romanticism. Yeah, yeah. Um, the emotional, the visionary, the transcendental. Mm-hmm. And that I'm, I'm sure that was seen as um, uh, shocking when you're used to this, this very ordered classic... Uh, writings or yeah uh, or work or the arts that you were looking at at the time so right man i bet he was shocking oh i bet i bet people would read it and be horrified even yeah. by our standards you know we think some of this stuff is eerie but by their standards it was explosively Explosive. eerie. yeah yeah right? so you know i'm sure a part of that is is where his reputation came from yeah i mean obviously um, but so most famously, probably now, he is known as the master of the macabre. Mm-hmm. Um, he completely transformed that uh, the genre of horror stories um, because of the, the psychological depth he was able to to get into and the insight, um, uh, the insight and visions of things that people weren't thinking about at that time. Yeah. And you think about... Um, it, and it doesn't happen a lot now. That that depth, the telltale heart, yeah. the cask of Amontillado, mm-hmm. the pit and the pendulum. One of my all-time favorites, the fall of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. You know, these stories were were taking you inside these characters um, like never before. Right. Um, which is pretty freaking fantastic. Um, but here's a weird thought or a weird fact that... Um, he wrote about what 70 70 pieces in his life 70 works in his life somewhere in there um but only around 15 of them were actual horror stories wow um he wrote he wrote magazines were demanding uh stories that would sell to the mass Mm -hmm. uh, mass audience so he gave him what he wanted but he he did only write around 15 horror stories he uh really produced far more comedies which is fascinating. And terror to me. Tales. Yeah. Um, 
He also wrote science fiction, mysteries, adventure, yeah. scientific essays, um, and he wrote a book about seashells. Which I love that. We need I want to read that. We need to I want to read that for sure. Um, today's readers, though, I mean, we, we do. We, we've glommed on to the horror stuff. And, and I, I say rightly so, to be fair, because it is fantastic. It's so good. It is true gothic horror. It's so unbelievably good. So good. Um, but in in Poe's time, in his time, people liked his mysteries better. Um, the last oh. book that he wrote, it was a book of short stories called The Tales of Edgar Allan Poe in 1845. And there was only one horror story in there. Wow. Yeah. Um, among the collection. Most of it was sci-fi and mystery. Um, Which I did find in a lot of my research. He is so well respected in those two genres. I mean, we know him for horror, like you've been saying, but he was so well respected at the time by authors in those two genres, detective fiction and and, Mm -hmm. and the the science fiction. It's something that never occurred to me. I mean, I knew he wrote a variety of stories, but I never knew he was like considered the father of these genres. Of these genres, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. So here um, is just a little quote from uh, Recollections of Edgar Allan Poe um, by Emily Bronson. Uh, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, Mary Elizabeth Bronson. Although he suffered bouts of depression after his wife's death, Poe wasn't a terribly morbid or melancholy person. Mary Bronson, who was a young girl, visited Poe with her father, later recalled, we saw Mr. Poe walking in his yard and most agreeably was I surprised to see a very handsome and elegant appearing gentleman who welcomed us with a quiet, cordial, and graceful politeness that ill accorded with my imaginary, somber poet. I dare say I looked the surprise I felt, for I saw an amused look on his face as I raised my eyes a second time. Huh. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, just... A very complex human. Com- very complex. Well, I think too, I mean, as an artist myself, I know what it feels like when I'm carrying a demon mm-hmm. to let the demon out on a canvas. Yes. And it makes me a better person. Yes. It, it lifts me, it heightens, or it, it it lightens me. Yes. So after writing, you know, all of these things, you know, purging all of that, I mean, that had to have been a significant way for him to deal with all the, the, with loss the trauma in his life. he was he was so experiencing, that, so yeah. that he had this outlet, he had a very healthy relationship with his outlet, right, and could um, be uh, uh, peaceful, I guess. Yeah, I don't want to say normal because that's not right, but no, but, he, pe- but he, he could be at peace. He could be at peace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about uh, he's the master of the macabre. He was also a pioneer of science fiction. Um. He was fascinated by the science of the time, and he very often wrote stories about new inventions. He loved that. Yeah. So he did that. Um, And then here we go into uh, the father of the detective story. Yep. He is credited with inventing the modern detective story with his um, work, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Um, His concept of deductive reasoning that he called ratiocination, which is i wrote down the process of exact thinking a reasoned train of thought um it inspired countless authors and I, I mean most notably sherlock holmes arthur, sir arthur conan doyle sherlock mm-hmm. holmes um yeah I, sir arthur conan doyle 
loved Poe, or at least revered him. Yeah. He, he noted that that without Poe, he he wouldn't exist. I can't believe that it wasn't that genre wasn't around more fully before. I know, but maybe it had to do with scientific uh, discovery in in the detective field. Maybe, maybe. that's fair. That is fair. Um, he developed, uh, he's credited with developing a new kind of fictional character, one who solves crime using reason. Mm-hmm. I, I just blows my mind that that was not really around before him. Um, and, and used keen observation skills. Uh, but, and he also gave his detective a sidekick. Mm. Um, which obviously um, something. and his role in the story was to basically narrate narrate what was going on narrate the events and make the detective look good yeah you know by um acting surprised <laughs> when the detective's feats of reasoning were um were came to fruition and um harvested wheat so to speak yeah yeah <laughs> um so i mean you can recognize that description easily dr watson Oh, he's Sherlock Holmes sidekick. Absolutely. Um, he also uh, developed some um, some new mystery plots that that are now standard. Um, he uh, let's see, murder in the uh, murders in the Rue Morgue uh, is the first locked door or locked room mystery, um, which is a subgenre of detective fiction in which someone is murdered inside a room which is locked from the inside when the police break down the door. I didn't know that was a subgenre. It's a subgenre. The locked door mystery. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to go down the rabbit hole on that one. Yeah. <clears throat> and the mystery of Marie Roger is the first detective story that was based on true crime. Okay. Uh, Thou Art the Man is the first comic detective story. Gosh. And the gold bug I is the, the first major major treasure hunt mystery. Oh, fine. And the first use of a secret code, a secret code in a mystery. Oh, unreal! 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 <laughs> I mean, unreal! The kind of things he was doing, the kind of writing he was doing. I yeah. I mean, it's just it's brilliant, and it you take for granted that these things just always existed. You don't think somebody had to invent. Had to have done that. He did that, and he did it. Um, well, I think, didn't he write some sort of code? I, 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 I came across this, did not write it down, so I'm just saying this, and it might be totally wrong. Uh, but he wrote some sort of code that wasn't deciphered. Like, they just deciphered <laughs> it in, like, 2000. Wow. What? <laughs> Yeah, like for almost 200 years, this code was undecipherable, and Edgar Allan Poe had written it. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll keep going then. So he also created um, some mystery plot devices um, that are just standard now. Um, In The Murders in the Rue Morgue and Thou Art a Man, it's the first innocent person wrongfully accused with the detective tasked with proving their innocence. Oh. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of an interesting one because typically in murder mysteries you're trying to figure out who the culprit is yeah. and in this one you're trying to say hey no you're you're, you're trying to prove the innocence oh. yeah so and in thou art the man we see the first use of the culprit being the least likely suspect and we see the first use of this villain scattering false clues to frame somebody else for the crime 
It, I mean, he is the he is the mystery gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely, he is. Um, there's another story called I don't like this word, but the purloined letter. Oh, that sounds that's like, an icky word. Sounds like something I should prepare for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it a was, purloin. It sounds like it was already prepared for dinner and then grew hair. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, a griddle a griddled purloin. <laughs> Stop with a nice aioli. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> In the purloined letter. Uh, we see the detective profiling the villain and trying to anticipate both his actions and the police department's actions in searching for the letter. Uh, I can't believe these things didn't just exist. I can't believe. I can't believe they, they just weren't a thing. And then he finds the letter because he anticipates um, that the villain has already anticipated how and where the police will look for the letter. Oh, my God. Sounds like a fever dream. It does sound like a fever dream. Okay, so I just got, um, I got a couple more. Yeah. So the man in the crowd, this is the use, uh, use the first time you see the use of surveillance to uncover facts about a mysterious unknown man. Love that. And then back to the golden bug, uh, it's the first mystery in which the solution involves decoding a cryptogram. Which he created some, and that's what they deciphered in 2000. Yeah. And that's also the one that is the first treasure hunt mystery. That's amazing. So um, his his the richness of his work, as you said already, but it's still just amazing to me. While we know him as the father of the macabre, so many people do. If mm-hmm. you say Edgar Allan Poe, I would I would ration a guess that if you said Edgar, if you said horror literature, one of the first names you're going to get is Edgar Allan Poe. And he did so much in so many other genres, so much. Not just wrote a couple detective stories, but wrote so many different kinds of detective stories and was the father of it. Was not, this was the first time this stuff was happening. He is so more, his story is richer than what we give him credit for. Absolutely. Um, I was astounded. I didn't know. Yeah some of these things yeah um and and i i think there's an an interesting um conversation to be had about where he contributed more mystery or horror absolutely psychological horror psychological thriller kind of i i I just don't know well when you have who we all when you hear mystery detective fiction you think of sir arthur conan doyle right Sherlock sherlock holmes um and he attributes that to edgar Allan poe yeah. I mean, yeah. that that says it all. Uh, or what science fiction. I I have down H.G. Wells, H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft. Yeah. Attributed to Edgar, to Edgar Allan, Allan Poe. Poe. Uh, he is the father of these genres that we've come to love. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, you know, I would argue science fiction, detective fiction. They're kind of in the horror realm. They're subgenres. Sure, in a way, sure. In a way. Um, but the master's. We, what we consider the masters mm-hmm. of those genres say that they would not be around yeah. unless Edgar Allan Poe yeah. had, Agatha had, Christie, had started. Poirot. Yeah. So, yeah. exactly. I mean, these heavyweights. Exactly. I also have it noted down because I just thought this was fascinating. Well, first of all, Alfred Hitchcock also apparently had a, you know, yeah. much reverence for Edgar Allan Poe. Um, but apparently Edgar's work helped to inspire Moby Dick. Really? Yeah. How? I don't know. I, j- I just found it in some of my notes, uh, in some of my research. 
Moby Dick was credited to some of the work of Edgar Allan Poe. He paved the way for for that story to be told, which I would be fascinated um, as to why. But that, I mean, his work just pervades all sorts of genres. I'm going to have. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. So while you're while you're while you're looking that up, um, I did go ahead and revisit a couple Poe tales um, to kind of highlight during this podcast. These are a couple of my favorites um, that I'd love to discuss with you, Andemic. And I'm not. I mean, obviously, we can't read them for you, um, but I can give you some highlights from them and also a little synopsis of them. So um, please know. Probably some spoilers are going to be happening in this section. So fast forward if these are things that you want to read yourself um, and want to be surprised by them. Um, but I but I did kind of go down that rabbit hole of some of his work. So um, I, I want to start with poetry because Poe did a lot in the realm of poetry. Um, and I want to start with what got me into Poe in the yeah. first place, which was Annabelle Lee. Right. Um, and Annabelle Lee, as I said earlier, was heavily attributed to Poe's relationship with Virginia. Um, and essentially, the, the story of Annabelle Lee is it's a poem that is about the death of a young woman. And the narrator um, is clearly the young woman's lover. And he's kind of writing this poem longingly to be reunited with Annabelle Lee and is describing his love of Annabelle Lee. Um, and it's very beautiful. It's kind of this kingdom by the sea, Annabelle Lee, kind of this very beautiful um, a setting mm-hmm. um, with some tragic circumstances such as her death coming down through the clouds. So you know that's a nod to tuberculosis yep. and how she's buried and he goes to her and weeps. Mm-hmm. It is so just entrenched in Poe's actual life that you cannot separate Annabelle Lee from what his actual experience is. What I particularly love about this poem, and I encourage you to read it very short, you can get through it very easily. Um, And it's in most of the anthologies that Poe has written. And also, you could probably easily find it online. But my favorite thing about this poem is, and I read this as a teenager, so it particularly was relevant at that time, but he is able to capture this kind of overwhelming adolescent love. And if you remember back to when you were a teenager and when you had that first love and it was painful, mm-hmm. it, you thought about the person all the time. You went to sleep thinking about them. You woke up thinking about them. You ate your breakfast, lunch, and dinner thinking about them. You were in school trying to concentrate on not thinking about them, but you were really just thinking about them. He captures that exact sentiment in this poem about Annabelle Lee. And it's so hard not to, even though it's a sad poem, to smile because I feel like that's a shared human experience that anyone who's ever felt love for someone else for the first time that is that is something that's shared across so many people's experiences and, and Poe captures it so perfectly in Annabelle Lee. So if you are a romantic, um, nostalgic, Annabelle Lee is probably a poem for you. I, I'm, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautifully written. Beautifully you know, written poem. something, when I went back and, and started to read some of his work and something that for me marks, um, the, that sets apart uh, a good poet from a great poet because mm-hmm. I love poetry yes. um, 
is when I read it, I can see it. Mm. I can hear it. I can smell it. I can. And when I went back into his work, I was pulled into it immediately. Yes. And I could see it. Yes. He made me see. I I don't know. That's for me that that's what sets him apart as a poet. Well, you know, what's interesting you saying that is that some of the criticisms he wrote, one of the one of the things that he wrote in his life was I forget the, the formal title of it, but it was basically an essay talking about how he comes to his writing, how he approaches writing. Um, and some people have speculated, is this really how he wrote? It doesn't make a ton of sense. But he said that he was more focused on the effect of his writing than he was on the storyline. You know, he wanted, he knew before he sat down and put pen to paper, he knew what he wanted his reader to feel. Yeah. And I think that is so apparent in everything you read by Poe. It is. Because he creates an atmosphere. It's a visceral experience when yeah. you read one of his You can't pieces. escape. You can't escape it. Yeah. He sets an atmosphere up and he knows what he wants you to feel and you feel it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is Annabelle Lee, but it's anything else mm-hmm. that you read by him. Well, I think that, um, I think in part he benefited so much from this attitude of art for art's sake. Yes. He honed the craft, not the message. Yes. Yes. Stitch that on a pillow. But, but I mean, that's true. He, he, he perfected that craft. He did. He truly did. Um, so that, that's one of the poems that I returned to the bells. So this was a poem that was new to me. Um, I had not read the bells before, but I decided I was going to read it for tonight. And what I love about this poem, same thing that we're talking about here, it evokes this emotion in the reader and he does it in such a smart way. Um, it is kind of this journey of talking about bells, as you would imagine, mm-hmm. and the sounds of bells. And it starts very beautifully talking about the twinkling sounds of bells, mm-hmm. marriage bells. Talk, you know, you get this very happy, light sense of bells. And then as the poem kind of continues on, the bells become warning bells, siren bells. They begin shrieking and then very solemn bells that you can imagine at top of a church tower that are ringing for the deceased inside. Yes. And so that is exactly what that poem captures Mm -hmm. is this life to death movement um, and using bells as this um, pathway to kind of illustrate the emotions you feel throughout life. Um, and it's, it's just beautiful. It's smart writing. That's the thing about Poe. He used his intellect when he wrote and Mm -hmm. he knew again, what he wanted Mm -hmm. to affect, how he wanted to affect the reader and he used language Mm -hmm. to do it. A lot of repetition of Mm -hmm. words also, which, which lifted me. Because I would read each one with with a building intensity. Yes. And then you bring me back down with the next line. And then you go back up again. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The last poem, I know that you did uh, reread this for tonight. So I'm excited to kind of chat it through with you is The Raven, which I would love to chat through. Um, So for those of you who don't know The Raven, A, you've got to read it. As soon as you turn this podcast off, you've got to go read it. if but you've a, never heard anything by Edgar Allan Poe, you've heard it, this. It, it, this you've is at least it. Heard Nevermore. This is it. This is it. This is Poe. Quick synopsis 
Um, a young kind of scholarly man is in his chamber. He has just lost his love, Lenore, um, and he's trying to kind of distract himself from his own despair by pouring into his studies, pouring into his books. And it's very late at night and he hears kind of this, this knocking on his door. And so he goes to the door and no one's there. Then he hears knocking at his window, so he goes to the window and opens the window, and in flies a raven. And he's kind of chatting with the raven, and it keeps responding to him, nevermore, nevermore. And he keeps asking it questions about Lenore, and you can kind of see him descending into this desperation um, to want to know that he's going to be able to reunite with her in death and want to know that she's made it to the other side and want to know all of these things about her and all the raven can repeat is nevermore nevermore and it becomes this very dark examination of of trauma and loss and despair and how something so mundane as a bird flying into your home um, can be seen as an omen, um, a dark omen in, in so many ways. And oh, it, Yeah, and I love how the poem gets increasingly intense. Yes. But the raven stays the same. The same. He's the same. He's the constant. Saying nevermore, nevermore. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of del- delivering this, mm-hmm. this steady drum message. Yeah. So you, at least I, when I read it, because this is another one that I can absolutely see this poem. I can feel this poem. Yes. Is I am pissed at this raven. Oh. I want answers. Yeah. Where is she? Where is she? Give me the answers that I seek. No. Yeah. And every time the raven says never once. Why the hell? Why? Yeah. It's so good. Um, The other thing, and this is quintessential Poe, is that even though we know the narrator has some bit of unreliability because he is just experiencing trauma, he is going through loss. And so there's an emotional element to that. He's so relatable. Yes. Just how you watch him go through this despair and try and reason and try. You can just kind of identify with each stage of Mm -hmm. his grief. Yes. And Poe is so good at that. He's so good at capturing that very human need yeah. for reason, but n- as you were saying with his detective fiction, that that human desire, craving for reason and logic, yes. mixed with sometimes reason and logic just isn't they there. They evade you, yes. Yeah, and that that kind of troubling, dark, macabre atmosphere mm-hmm. when you're realizing that I'm not gonna get the answers. Yes, yeah. it's so good. The Raven, you've got to you've got to pick it up yes, if you haven't. Yes, absolutely have do. If you haven't, so I did dive into a couple stories, and I'll I'll go I'll go pretty quickly through those. Um, the first was the Telltale Heart, uh, of course. I love the Telltale Heart, and this again is an unreliable narr- narrator. Um, it's a story about a, a younger man who admits in in the first couple paragraphs really admits he's murdered an older man that he was living with, um, or at least staying with. Um, and you know you're dealing with an unreliable narr- narrator from yes. from the, from the jump. And the the narrator kind of goes into this conversation about, okay, this is how I did it. And he starts talking about how he stalked this old man while he was sleeping. Um, how he he murders him you know, detail about how he murders him all mm-hmm. because he feels like the man has this untrustworthy vulture-like eye mm-hmm. and how he disposes of the body. Yeah. Um, and then the police show up 
and, and kind of the it the story ensues from there and there it's just really a great um a great example of Poe's ability to to paint a picture of a tormented tortured narrator and the psyche behind a tormented narrator all the while building suspense because you know at the start someone has been murdered this man did it but there's still somehow suspense (laughs) in the story right um and and poe is wonderful at doing that because of the language he uses and i think this goes back to because he knows what he wants his reader to feel he wants you to feel suspenseful he wants you to feel on edge he wants you to feel what the tormented narrator is feeling and through the word choice he uses and the picture he paints even though you already know what has happened you're still on the edge of your seat the the whole story highly recommend the telltale heart and it is a short story a very Mm -hmm. short story so that's something that you could easily dive into Um, and i would encourage you if you haven't read a short story the telltale heart is probably one of the first i would i would point you to um with poe and then the last one I read um, for tonight was The Mask of the Red Death. Yeah. Apt. Totally, <laughs> totally uh, apt story for the time. Um, this It is all about Prince Prospero and him going off into his uh, abbey and taking a thousand of his closest friends and shutting himself out of society because a plague has hit yes. the has hit the community right. um, and he's going to save himself he's going to save his family but he does not care about all of the people outside of his gate right um, and so it just so happens that he decides to host a, a ball during um, this time for all of the people who are already shuttered inside yes. of this abbey and this masked figure appears and I won't say much except all of the guests end up perishing. Yes. Once the masked figure appears. What I love about the story is there's this play on imagery with the mask of the red death. And it really ha- is tied so closely to color. There mm-hmm. are rooms in this abbey, all colors of the rainbow. Right. Um, and it kind of, it paints this really beautiful, vibrant picture juxtaposed with this idea of death yeah of red because this this plague that is that is ravaging the community is causing people to bleed from their faces and black shrouds of death juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with these vibrant blues and greens and yellows right um it's a really again beautiful piece of writing quick read um and i think it is a nice blend of poe's macabre and his detective fiction. Yeah. Because you do have the masked figure mm-hmm. kind of show up, which often shows up in some of his detective work. That's right. So, the mysterious stranger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd highly recommend The Mask of the Red Death. Plus, it's relevant. Super relevant. Super relevant. Super relevant. All right. We should probably do What the Hells now. Am we I right? probably should do What the Hells. Before we do, I'll just mention real quick, once we are able to be around human beings again, um, there are some really cool places. Um, I, I wanted to give a shout out that you could visit if you are a Poe fan. Poe Museum 
in Richmond, Virginia. Um, it was actually built out of materials that were or, that originally kind of made up the Southern Literary Messenger. So this this um, building is built out of those materials, and it says uh, on their website that they have the most comprehensive Poe collection in the world. So if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, that's probably a cool place to check out. Um, and then the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum, yeah. um, which is in Baltimore. I have been there. It is it is excellent. Excellent. It is excellent. It is you are going to be shocked at how small the house is. And is that the one where he li- he lived with Maria and Virginia in that home? I believe is that right? I, I believe I'm not sure. Right. Possibly. Possibly. Don't up. quote me on that. I don't entirely remember. Um, but I remember that you could only take two steps up into the attic, which was his room, because it was just so small. Wow. Um, you could just peer up into it. Um, but also, we visited his grave, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, it was humbling. It was it was very cool to see, to touch, to be to be so close to that that level of literary genius. You Absolutely, know, when you stand in front of a grave of somebody you admire. Absolutely, um, it's pretty fantastic. Awesome. Plus, Baltimore's an awesome city, so go. Absolutely. So just wanted to give them a shout out real quick um, while we had the opportunity. So yes, I think we should delve highly into what the hell. Okay. Before I suppose one last thing I should say is Melville and Poe um, wrote letters back and forth. And Oh, from Moby Dick. A message in a bottle, a bottle from the sea, um, Poe's story. Um, Melville was really interested in uh, depictions of life at sea. So, oh. um, so that's kind of where he drew inspiration from yeah, Moby Dick. Yeah, okay. and they um, they speculate. Some people say that their relationship was uh, very passive, and other people say it was very causal, and they really did um, uh, inspire one another. So, you make the call and pick up or read the short story, "The Fall of the House of Usher." I won't go into it now, so we can do these what the hells. But that is my favorite um, Poe short story. I love it. Yeah. All right. I love it. And. So many movies, so many horror movies are made oh, from these, yeah. usually starring Vincent Price or Peter Cushing or those yeah. guys. But the Peter Cushing Fall of the House of Usher, love. All right, you go first. All right, mine's mine's kind of long, so but I'm gonna try and have paraphrase. at it. I'm gonna try and paraphrase through it. Um, if I can find what I'm looking for here. Okay, so did it something <laughs> something we didn't talk about. Um, and who a lot of you who know Poe are familiar with. Edgar Allan Poe would know the Poe toaster. This mm. is just a what the hell because it went on for so long. Yeah. Um, every year on January 19th, which was Poe's birthday, a toaster, not the one that toast spread, not the toaster but a person uh, would appear uh, in the Baltimore graveyard where the author is buried and leave a half bottle of cognac and four roses. But no one ever knew the identity or knew the motive. Okay, so this went on for over seven decades. Wow. Um, the first, uh, it wasn't reported in print until the 50s, I think 1950 or something. But um, there are eyewitness reports all the way back uh, to sometime in the 1930s. And then um, they think it was one person up until 1998 and then that it was passed on to a quote unquote a son or mm. to somebody else. Um, notes were often left. Mm-hmm. Um, controversial statements were, were often associated with these notes. Um, p- 
people always tried to come to find the identity of this person, but they never, they could never figure it out. You know, of course, a person or two here and there came forward and said, it was me. It was me. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the notes read, uh, Edgar, I haven't forgotten you. Uh, in 1993, a cryptic message said the torch will be passed. Oh. Um, in 1999, a note announced that the original toaster had died the previous year um, and had passed on that tradition. So that yeah. was where that, that came from. Um, and then people, eyewitnesses, or kind of confirmed that after 1998, the toaster appeared to be younger. Mm. Um, but they would always show up shrouded and like a, a hat and a scarf. And um, so Wow, two, so the toaster was seen. The toaster was seen. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, here's one that, that was a little controversial. In 2001, um, the Super Bowl that year was going to be between the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. And the New York Giants. And it said, the New York Giants, darkness and decay, and the big blue hold dominion over all. The Baltimore Ravens, a thousand injuries they will suffer. Edgar Allan Poe evermore. Interesting. <laughs> um, apparently that was the first time the toaster had ever commented on sports or current events of, of any kind. Um, and they couldn't figure out why that had why? happened. That could have been, a, maybe it was an imposter. Um, who knows? Yeah. So th this just went on and on and on. And I love that, that there's a mystery surrounding it. Um, so it's just kind of a what the hell because the tradition lasted so long. So let's long. Um, let's see when it ended. In okay. 2010, the post the Poe toaster failed to appear. Um, this this person who had witnessed every visitation from seventeen from 1976 on didn't have an explanation, but did speculate that uh, the toaster intended to end the tradition, the 2009 bicentennial of Poe's birth would have been a logical ending point. Ah. So maybe that's what it was. Um, and of course there are faux toasters now that do it. And people sure. It'd be cool. But it did. It went on. Um, it went on for a really long time. How interesting. Yeah. I'm still very interested in the fact that this person was seen. Yeah. Shrouded. Shrouded. Well, because they knew to expect it. Right. So people would, you know, go and check it out. Right. Um, fascinating, fascinating. It was speculated that this this person Jerome was um, was the toaster, but he always denied it. Um. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, so very good. Just what the hell that it that it lasted so long, and but it's also super cool. Super cool, and a testament to you know Poe's legacy of mystery. Yeah, <laughs> lives on forever. It lives on. All right. I went the bird route. I tried to keep it related. Yeah, yeah. So I went the bird route. Um, have you ever heard of anting? No. <laughs> okay. So apparently, and for all of you, what is it called when you are into birds? Ornithology? Yes. All of you ornithologists out there um, might be well-versed in that. this, but this was new to me. Apparently, many birds practice this anting process anting which, like a-n-t-i-n-g correct okay uh which involves rubbing an ant on its 
tail and on its wings um, or like getting it in its beak and rubbing it all over itself or just splaying out over an anthill and letting the ants crawl all around it. What the hell? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so there's speculation as to why these birds do this, but there's not like confirmation. So they and, and also this practice like they know they do it but it's not like super well observed so uh-huh. that's why it's still a little mysterious um but apparently it does occur in like the late summer early fall time frame um and uh the ants that it usually occurs with um fall under two subfamilies and both of these subfamilies um, aren't like biting ants and they also secrete these fluids um, that ward off attackers. What? Yeah. So um, some explanations associated with why these birds are doing this is that uh, one, it might be something that helps to calm irritated skin. So uh, when they're like shedding feathers and things like that, they're molting, the the secretions might somehow help to... Like to numb? Cal- yeah, exactly. Numb it so Ugh. it doesn't hurt as much or like itch as much. They also, the secretions might kill mites and lice that live in bird feathers. So they might like be doing some pest control on themselves a more recent explanation is that uh the bird is basically forcing the ant to like secrete this fluid so it can eat it because the bird can't ingest the fluid (laughs) so it's just like ha ha i'm gonna trick you into secreting this fluid i'm gonna rub you all over myself till you do and then i'm gonna eat you (laughs) So is that what they do when they lay themselves out on an anthill? I guess. I don't to know. Have a, uh, like a, um, a feast? Yeah, feast. Feast of ants. I have no idea. Um, but apparently, so like ants are most common, but they do also ant with other insects. <laughs> um, and I I chose, so lots of birds are known to be do this, to do this yeah. practice. Ravens are one of them. Ah. Yes. That is fascinating. That they figured, whatever the reasoning, that they figured that out. Yeah. 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 Birds are uh, very smart and very terrifying. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell? I love it. Love it. So thank you all for listening tonight. We do appreciate you kind of hanging in there with us and and checking out more about Poe and his backstory. And tell us what Uh, you like about Poe, if you like Poe or if we've introduced you to him or... Absolutely. Or, or what your favorite Poe stories yeah, are. Pi- yeah. We'd love to know what your favorite Poe stories are. We're always looking for recommendations. Yeah. In that, I'd love in that to know area. your reactions to, let's just pick um, the popular, let's pick the Raven. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the Raven? Yeah. Does it hit you like it hits us? Yeah. Because that poem is... Mm-hmm fantastic Mm -hmm. in in my opinion i know in your opinion too pandemic so we would love to hear from you um you can uh reach us at info at the horror salon.com um so please do we love to communicate with you um if you like this podcast and you've liked some of the others that we've put out there we would super appreciate a subscribe um a like um, a review. A review would be good. A review would be great. Um, all of those kinds of actions helps us get in front of more 
viewers um, and helps us grow this little horror nerd community. Mm -hmm. So we would so appreciate if you'd take the the quick couple seconds to do that for us. We'd super appreciate it. And then always share with a friend, share Mm -hmm. with someone you think might be interested. Um, We would super appreciate that as well. Um, We're pretty active on our Instagram account. We're getting more and more active, actually. I'm trying so hard to be so good at it. I know. It, it, I suck sometimes at it though. And I love which, it. Which carries me on her back on that one. But but it's fun. It's fun to do. It's it fun is to come up with fun. some fun things. And it also gives you um, just some insider uh, looks into what we're what we're doing, what kind of horror nerd things we're, we're <laughs> into that week. Um, so you can follow us at The Horror Salon. We'd love to have you along on that jor- mm-hmm. journey with us. Um, we also do some announcements on there and contests and fun things like that. So you get privy to a lot of stuff that you wouldn't otherwise on, on yeah. our Instagram account. Um, and then, of course, we have our website. Um, where we put up um, all sorts of fun things, everything from the recipes to the pazuzas that we're drinking mm-hmm. to extensive show notes that go way more in depth um, and give you some cool links to the resources that we use to inform mm-hmm. our episodes. So we highly uh, encourage you to check our website out so mm-hmm. that you can kind of dive down the rabbit hole with us. Yeah. So with that, here goes the candle. Oh, God, it's hot. Ow. Oh, no burning endemic well i'm gonna probably blow a giant flame after this beverage that you oh, made that's me drink fair. that's fair it's a maple syrup lava maple canyon syrup lava. Oh, okay and the candle is out the pazoose <laughs> is emptied thank you so much for joining us i am your co-host endemic and i'm your co-host the witch we'll catch you next time at the horror salon where we curate the strange and unusual until dawn do us part monsters it's the witch and andemic music for this episode is rage by the 126ers check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras later nerds